Welcome to the Digital Responsibility Podcast. There is a vibrant community around the world exploring how we drive forward digital innovation, products and services, and generally exploit technology progression for the sustained benefit of society and the planet. On this podcast, you will hear from me, Christopher Joynson, and Rob Price, two of the original founders of Corporate Digital Responsibility. As we speak to our guests, to hear their stories and piece together what it means to be responsible in the digital age. If you'd like to learn more, take a look at the website, corporatedigitalresponsibility.net. Welcome to episode eight of the fifth season of Digital Responsibility Podcast. And tonight I'm delighted to be joined by Eleanor Harry. And Eleanor, fascinating conversation ahead, I hope, around the work that you're doing. Would you like to introduce yourself? Tell everyone who you are. Thanks so much, Rob, for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, So yes, as you said, my name is Eleanor Harry, and I'm the CEO and founder of a company called Hayes. We're based in Manchester, in case anyone wants to come and visit, first of all. Um, And we essentially, um, our company focuses, our our sole mission is to sustainably eradicate child labour in global supply chains. As a brief background of child labour, there's currently 160 million children in child labour today. That equates to one in 10 children globally. 70% of that child labour is in agriculture, so right at the bottom of the supply chain. Um, I've been working with or in this industry for about 13 years um, from a fashion supply chain background, which is how we traditionally kind of associated child labour with this specific industry. But I've worked across a multiple um, range of um, agricultural commodities as well. So cotton, fishing, um, tanzanite, gold, coffee, cocoa, tobacco, tea, um, the list kind of goes goes on and on. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit of my background. Um, I, I, I love I love the bit uh, kind of where we're, we're in Manchester, come and visit. We're just trying to eradicate global child labour. I mean, you, you've gone for the little problem to start with then. The problem of being in Manchester where none of our clients are. <laughs> Do you know what? We 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 love we love being in Manchester because um it's a really amazing uh data and tech and, and certainly AI scene up here. And it's not a laughing matter at all, but we're based in an old warehouse, as lots of tech companies are in in Manchester, and it's an old cotton mill. So we say this is really where child labour was. So we sat in building where there was loads of child labour because we kind of tend to forget that it was only 100 years ago where where um, child labour was made illegal in this country. So. so tell me a bit about how you, I mean, you, you said there that you had a background in in um, in, in fashion, clothing, etc. But, but there's still a big step to go from, I'm going to leave what I'm doing there to focus on this massive global problem. And and for, I, I should introduce from a CDR point of view, I mean, the thing for me, we talk about innovating to solve the world's biggest problems, whether they're environmental or whether they're societal. So it's a brilliant example of that. Um, but it also touches on so many of the other principles. But how, how did that come to be? It feels like a conversation in a pub one day that, that you suddenly kind of said, I've, I've got this great idea, but w- what's the reality? You know what? You're not actually that wrong. <laughs> uh, but it was over wine in Malta. Um, essentially, kind of, I was, yeah, from a fashion background um, originally. And it's a pretty, um, let me try and be diplomatic here. It's not the best industry to work in 
on any side of the value chain um, where you are, if you're a cotton farmer in Uzbekistan all the way through to probably head office somewhere in Paris. Um, but essentially, I think that I always needed more from fashion than what it was giving me. Um, so I specialised in my undergraduate a long time ago um, in ethical fashion, as it was called then. And I decided to kind of leave the fashion supply chain and started working for an NGO. And the first project I was put on, interestingly, I just said that, that was state-imposed child labour in the cotton industry in Uzbekistan. And this was back in 2010. And I clearly remember this being the worst thing that I'd ever heard. Um, I grew up above nurseries in, in Stockport, outside of Manchester. So I'd been around children all of my life. And <clears throat> I guess seeing five-year-old children picking cotton and not being in school, I just thought, this is, how can this be? Um, and unfortunately, it's just still the same today, not just in Uzbekistan, but everywhere. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the motivation for starting Haze was always scale. Um, because working for an NGO, you, you kind of, you can reach 100, maybe 1,000 children if you're lucky. But we're talking about one of the biggest, most complex societal problems of our time. There's nothing really that unites global children other than hunger, than child labour. And that is really global. It's not just in kind of South Asia, it's in the US, it's in the UK, child labour is in every country, in every supply chain. Um, so I was frustrated about scale and I didn't know really that much about data. I knew kind of statistical methodologies and other various bits and pieces, but it really did come from a wine in Malta, um, thinking, how can I, how can I, how can I create something at scale? And I knew that data was the key to unlock that scale. Um, and I knew that technology was, but you need data in order to feed technology and then kind of all the way up and down. And eventually we kind of started and it was brilliant. And then we really quickly moved into artificial intelligence because that was the only way that we could get the data and extract the data um, that powered our data sets. And we actually steered quite clear of kind of some other things. And And yeah, that's how it started, I guess. I remember a conversation I had with a guy called David Jensen at the UN Environment Programme about three years ago, and we were talking about digital transformation of the planet. Um, and he said, kind of, well, there were almost three steps to it. It was, how do you work out how to aggregate all of the data sources that are relevant to the environment or climate change or anything else? How do you then build an ecosystem that can utilise that data to solve those biggest problems and, 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 and thereby drive change transformation outcomes that are different so you started on the journey of aggregating the data and 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 i'm kind of intrigued kind of where you'd even start on that in in terms of the vast kind of complexity of it um but then of course the critical thing is what you do with that data and what others do with that data and how people react and i i have a feeling that maybe people only really react when they are faced with information in the depths of their supply chain that is just untenable for them. Uh, tell me a bit more about, about it in terms of how how, how do we change? How do, how do we drive transformation using what you're doing? Expand a bit on what you are doing. Tell, tell us about the index. Yeah, I mean, I really agree with you about the education part. So if I start a little bit further behind the index, we started essentially, yes, I could... We could probably talk for at least three hours over three bottles of wine on uh, lack of standardization in the data that's available on a variety of sustainability issues, um, which is how we started, really. 
a whole other story. Um, so we really started as a as a service based or tech enabled consultancy. How we delivered was via consultancy, working with kind of big FMCG agribusiness clients um, to understand the root causes of child labour within their supply chains by using data. And it, it it works to a certain extent, but you're absolutely right. Sometimes it falls on deaf ears. Like, great, I understand what's driving child labour in my supply chain, but then you have to hand over that responsibility to a company. Whether they want to or want to not do it is up to them. So, um, and and really the, the whole issue with child labour is, is we tend to kind of focus on solutions rather than understanding the problem itself. That's always the case. Like, let me try and, try and find a quick, easy solution to solving child labour we have to take one step back and understand the problem itself. Um, and I've seen that over kind of over a decade is we can't rush into solutions. So what we really saw with the with the services side of the, the, the kind of consultancy side of the business was we were speaking to, you know, global 500 clients that were saying to us, yeah, you know, we know we, we've got an issue with child labor and our supply chain. We know we have it, but it's more of a 2025 issue for us. So you think so you know that it's an issue but you're like you're not willing to move on it for another three years bearing in mind the sustainable development goal for ending child labor in all its forms is 2025 so the fact that companies are moving after the sustainable development goal says something and again because it's not prioritized necessarily in an esg agenda and i think that's more about an education piece so this kind of led us down the road of okay well if companies aren't moving on child labor then who are the only stakeholders that are going to force them to do that? So you have this light bulb moment of, well, they're shareholders. Everyone's accountable to shareholders. You know, profit margin is driven by shareholders, or so we think, and it, it is true. So CEOs and C-suites of most publicly listed companies, publicly listed companies are beholden to their shareholders. They own them. Sorry, we own them with our pension funds and then et cetera, et cetera. So we thought we are not including the investor community in the fight to eradicate child labor in supply chains. And they're the only ones that those companies are going to listen to. They don't listen to me sat in Manchester in a mill, even though I've been working in this industry for you know a long time and sit on various different UN boards and you know, not going to listen to me. Great. And this is how the idea of the child labor index was born. So we thought, how do we create a quantitative metric on child labor performance at a company and group level how do we do that and how do we scale that and how do we automate that and how do we leverage the power of data and ai to do that and essentially how do we sell that to their investors and how do we sell it to their asset managers and the pension funds that invest in them and that's what we've done. So <laughs> we have created that product in a variety of different ways using, I can talk about data forever and ever and how we use kind of data and AI um, to power the index. But essentially, yeah, we generate the only quantitative metric on every single public listed company in the world on child labor performance. And, and there's the, again, brilliant parallel with kind of some of the work around CDR. I often talk around um, why, why should organizations care around digital responsibility? And come back to 
well, probably three points, but two two of the most important are reputational damage, which clearly kind of is relevant in this context as well, especially when that information is made publicly available um, and people are making kind of decisions about what they buy or not buy around that. And then the second one is, as you say, it's in, investor kind of related. It's it's access to money. Um, and um, I, I often talk about the work that Ethos do in, in Switzerland. Uh, I mean, and they've published CDR indexes uh, and a benchmark in the top Swiss businesses around CDR for similar reasons. They, they have an involvement in the management of the pension funds of the top 200 Swiss businesses. So people listen to them. And it's, it's, it's that's your point, isn't it? It's kind of you've got to find the people who have a fundamental voice to therefore have influence in change. But I'm really interested in another point around that change, because it's not as simple, I would imagine, as saying, stop doing that. Because Absolutely it's more not. complex. In, in, and, and whether it's in Uzbekistan or in any other country around the world, you've got to then think about the fabric of how that all, that country operates, those families operate. I, I guess I'm interested in the consequential kind of transformation. So let's let's imagine those investors have got that index what happens then? And maybe, I mean, if there are illustrated stories or case studies that you've seen, whether it relates to the index or just organisations doing something positive around that space, what, what what would you highlight? So maybe I can give a one specifically around child labour that may shed some light on what could happen in a negative light. Um, and then I can potentially... yeah you know, say how the index would, would interfere with this kind of negative, uh, what happened here. So very recently um, in January, December, January, December last year to January this year, a Blackstone, who are one of the biggest asset managers in the world, um, they owned a company uh, called PSSI, who are a sanitation company. And the US Department of Labor and Reuters um, discovered or uncovered the fact that the sanitation company PSSI um, had hundreds, if not thousands of children working cleaning meat processing factories in the United States um, overnight in hazardous conditions, 12, 13, 14 year olds there. It's a huge case in itself and you can find it and you can find some stories on our website and the way that we talk about it. So, of course, as soon as a child labour scandal happens, there is nothing that tanks a share price like a child labour scandal. Nothing. Like very little else in ESG can really do that. Um, because especially in the US, like this is a US, this is US child labour um, in the US. So what were the repercussions of what happened here? Well, certainly Blackstone didn't know that this was happening. An asset manager has a responsibility to know what happens in their portfolio companies, but they don't know how to ask the right questions. What happened to PSSI? CEO was fired. They got fined $11 million, which seems nothing, but worse is the company lost two of their biggest contracts. But the pension fund that was investing, that obviously handed over those assets to Blackstone to invest, also wrote an open letter to Blackstone saying, what are you doing about monitoring child labor in your portfolio companies that we are giving you money to invest in? question mark what are they going to say we're not monitoring this issue <laughs> so we couldn't have had a meaningful conversation with that ceo we couldn't have picked up the phone to that ceo and says mm, i heard there's a kind of rumblings around child labor in the u.s are you sure that everything's okay with your supply chain and even if that ceo says yes is like prove it to me as your investor that you're doing something about it 
So if we take something like an index, and it's the same with lots of other, you know, kind of ESG indexes, more for specialized indexing like ours, is the index enables that meaningful conversation to be had. It's not just a score that says you're performing really badly and asset managers beware of this company or divest your money. That's the worst thing that could happen. Um, and I'll tell why it's why it's the worst thing that could happen. But what it does is it allows that asset manager and investor to have the meaningful conversation with the C-suite of that company and says, I see you're performing pretty badly in child labor. What are you doing about it? And if your investor says that to a CEO, can you imagine the trickle down effect that it has into frontline? So mm. are we auditing properly? Are we, what are we deploying? How much resource are we deploying into this area? Who's responsible for this data collection? And these questions are the first types of questions that need to be asked if we are ever going to start thinking about putting more resources from a company perspective into something like child labor. Um, so I think that there's a lot around the education piece of this is a very big issue um, within ESG that companies have to move on, not just from a legislative perspective. So we go for a top-down approach and our measure of impact is how many asset managers pick up the phone to the CEOs that are performing badly and what are the CEOs providing back. And once CEO is aware of something, it usually gets pushed down. You must have seen it a million times um, in companies. And it's the only way that we can really influence. It's difficult for us to get to 160 million children and we are not and will never encourage divestment out of companies because they're performing badly equally we will never ever 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 encourage companies to pull out of suppliers or, or cut contracts with suppliers because there is child labor within it because those children just go and work somewhere else it's about having that meaningful contribution to those communities and those societies where that supply chain is touching and that's about optimization of resources. That's about using data. And there are plenty of kind of publicly listed companies that are pumping a lot, billions of dollars into eradicating child labor in communities. And that's what it is. It's not cutting or divesting or trying to move the problem somewhere else. It's about having a tool that enables companies and investors to see how am I performing and what am I going to do about it? In, and in a sense, it's transparency in action because things are visible. A number of questions kind of come to mind from that, but but let me start with how do you know it's right? So so how do you verify and validate the data that's aggregated? Because of course, with any index, and we see it with ESG, don't we? I mean, it's there, there are parts of society and business that are kind of doing their best to pull apart uh, the ESG um, measurement and indexes. How do you have the greatest faith that at any particular point in time the information that you're representing is as good as it can be? It's a great question. And you're absolutely right about ESG um, ratings or any sort of judgment on the data. So ESG ratings and, and indexing is, out, is about to become regulated by the FCA, which we totally approve of. Um, we've kind of always followed a transparency is key part of our methodology. We release quite a lot publicly about our methodology. Um, so it's really clear. Um, we don't use any synthetic or estimated data so that's the first one. So we're not pretending that if data is absent, we're not trying to fill it with something, which mm. is where you start getting all of the judgments if it's based on synthetic or estimated data start to become a little tricky. Um, we build, again, kind of thinking about transparency, which I think is key to testing if the data is right or having confidence in it, is being able to trace it back to its source. So because we are... AI powered, 
we also build a knowledge graph database, which is really important for the traceability. So at any given time, if anyone questioned a score, we can pull every single piece of data that was associated to that company. And essentially the difference between us and kind of other ESG ratings is yes, it's AI, but it means that our scores are updated every 24 hours. And it means it's an automated judgment on the data rather than a human necessarily based judgment on the data, um, which is how we are enabled we're unable to scale. So of course the judgments or subjectivity on the data are very few when it comes to us. Really our complex processes is actually processing the data and being able to associate companies to certain pieces of data, which is why Knowledge Graph helps us so much. But essentially the the kind of the main um the main judgments that that we make on the data is around one of our algorithms, which we call company disclosure. And essentially it's a governance metric of using all of these publicly available documentation from a company website that we scrape, are they are they identifying child labor as an issue in their supply chain? Do they have it in a supplier code of conduct? Are they following international best practice? Are they well, even if they say they are, are they well equipped to be able to deal with that? So essentially it's like a child labor expert reading through a document saying, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good example. And then we test against kind of good and bad examples. And, you know, there's lots of A-B testing of what we do. So this is the main judgment that we make on the data. And we do have industry experts around us. And of course, it's our subject matter expertise as a team. Like we have many, many years of combined experience in this area. So what we would particularly be looking for. So I guess when it comes to kind of subjectivity of the scores, how do we know that they're right? Well, they're also it's 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 one main subjectivity on those scores, and it and it kind of sits there. So we're comfortable with it. We also do lots of testing around kind of ground truth. So we do have validation techniques. We kind of use ground truth methods and then expert methods, which are the two main um, ways of validating. So our ground truth is we do a lot of kind of human sampling and and human in the loop as well um, to make sure that we're not only picking up the right data that we need to we're also making sure that we're picking up all of the data that we need to that's related to a certain topic so i don't know you know do we know that there is always right well is anything always right it's probably just trying to have the most justifiable methodology and being very transparent with it and knowing that we've got the right validation techniques and a human in the loop that can verify if needed yeah, and I think, uh, I mean, again, going back to the CDR principles, principle four talks about um, third party data and, and algorithms and transparency and authenticity are, are kind of the key thing. It's about having a process in place. You can't always guarantee that some things is right, but as long as you've got feedback loops, then, then of course organizations can always have always got that visibility to be able to go hang on a minute kind of it's it's not picked up this or that and and, and come back and, and and that iterative and daily updates as you say i think one of the things that i've always been interested in is it's it's one thing for an organization to say something but it's another thing for an organization employees within that organization to recognize that that's actually executed and done and and therefore to have um an employee view as much as a uh, organizational view kind of has always been an interesting contrast with me but t- tell me a bit more about um where the index is then so so i think last time we spoke about this earlier in the year um you were kind of looking to launch around now actually so so is it is it out there and, and are people well i mean you talked about investors population earlier uh but but is it investors or, or will it be public as well eventually 
So it's not now. It's um, We're launching formally in the market in Q1, but Q4 um, this year, we are selecting a discrete number of credible asset managers in the sustainable investment space to throughout Q4 give feedback on the child labor index, as well as kind of other industry experts giving feedback on certain judgments in the data. So we're in the moment, at the moment, we're speaking and, and organizing the kind of feedback sessions um, for those, for that discrete number of asset managers um, globally. And then we hope to launch in the market in Q1 um, with asset managers being our main target market, but also asset owners, asset consultants, professional services, banks and other financial institutions. Um, companies themselves can also access the index. So the public listed company can also access the index and they also have the opportunity to provide us with extra pieces yeah. of private disclosure in a secure portal so we can process that to make their score more accurate yeah. and reflect exactly what they're doing internally because we totally understand and i've seen it because i've worked in companies and we work with companies that not everything that's on their website is public and it's not fair for us to be making judgments on them without giving the opportunity to disclose extra pieces of information um so that comes a little bit later down the line for us yeah so absolutely Absolutely. There'll be certain parts of the index um, that will be publicly available, but it won't be from a company name perspective. Yeah. It will be more like sector aggregations. So we can see how sectors are performing against each other. We can see how subsectors are performing against each other from three different algorithmic perspectives. So which sectors are most negatively perceived by the public when it comes to child labor versus which really are the worst performers in a governance measure when it comes to, to child labor so yeah absolutely from a sector perspective we will we plan very much to to be releasing aggregated parts of it i'm probably. now intrigued of course uh, to know and, and it might be too early maybe i need to come back in six months and ask you the question any surprises in terms of how the sectors are playing out in terms of that early <laughs> data you have the same old offenders right at the top um so sometimes yeah sometimes you think wow i can't believe that company has no governance um metrics at all on this issue it's yeah. shocking you think how is a company your size with a vast supply chain barely mentioning this issue on any piece of documentation that's public and that is worrying it's worrying for them but it's also worrying for consumers buying from these companies um so you know as you know with defamation etc we can't release any kind of public information but yeah, yeah, yeah. there's been some surprises yeah. a lot around the governance um public perception less so 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 that's one of our algorithms of of um essentially how it measures how negatively a company is associated um in the media with child labor and they're usually the the kind of offenders the the, the ones that the ones that people say so yeah. it's quite these these are algorithms that are quite easy to validate or easier to validate because if I ask a hundred people in this building, tell me a company when I say child labor, they say very much a mixture of five companies, and yes, they usually are the kind of worst performers. Um, our other algorithm is is supply chain, so it's essentially a generic um, sub sub subsector score on the risk of exposure or how susceptible that supply chain is to child labor and then a company is attached to 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 that sector so it's a generic sub 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 sector risk 
when you start adding supply chain on top of supply chain on top of supply chain, very complex supply chains, that risk, that supply chain risk grows exponentially. And, and I can guarantee there will just won't be the visibility in those organisations. I mean, cascaded supply chains, it's the same in terms of um, when if, if we're talking about data or AI risks in that sense, um, that's that's where it's buried because kind of they just won't know. There, there, there isn't that degree of granularity of check. So it must be quite exciting times kind of leading up to that launch. How do you hope everyone will react? So so what are your hopes for launch? Because it's, it's it's a sensitive topic, isn't it? I mean, there, there are, you will get lots of plaudits in terms of what you're doing. And then there'll be some people that are horrified by what you're doing. Yes, I, I think that if we achieve both of those things, we've probably done something. <laughs> I think I said this from the beginning. So our mission as a company is and will always be and has always been to sustainably eradicate child labour in global supply chains. Um, how we do that is, te- you can do that in uh, hundreds of different ways. So I'm absolutely certain that there will be, be people that would be um, annoyed with with what we're doing, but we have to start somewhere. And mm. I genuinely believe that for companies themselves, if they don't know how they're performing, and then investors don't know how companies are performing, then we we don't have anything to base it on. And if you think about kind of natural, um, I guess, I don't really like saying human nature, but it's kind of more animal nature, mammal nature, um, is we want to do well. So it, it's a kind of classic at school where you want to get 10 out of 10. And, and, and if we can start those types of conversations, then I think that we're doing a good job in making child labor more known and prioritizing that within the ESG agenda. So back to our kind of mission statement, if we're starting to prioritize child labor, not just climate or environmental, I mean, look at biodiversity gets left right at the bottom and it's so important. And now it's kind of rising up through the ranks in the kind of environmental side. We expect and hope that child labor will be exactly the same. Like we cannot go any longer ignoring this issue globally because one in ten children is the future workforce of this world. They're not when you're a child you know when you turn from 17 to 18, if you're a child labor, it doesn't just disappear. You know, you become the future of the world's workforce. So if we're not tackling it then, it's like when? What well if it's 2025, why is it not now? So you know, I hope that I hope that there will be a kind of mixed reaction, but I do of course hope that people will understand, you know, um, certainly investors will and our, our customers will understand the value in the data point that we're providing, um, the fact that there's no other data point in the market. There is, so if they're not, if they're not kind of moving on child labor here, it's like, how are they getting those other data points in? Um, and yeah, we 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 hope we hope for the best, but if we can make some noise around child labor and make companies and investors understand this issue a little bit more, then I think that I've done basically my life's work, um, hopefully. <laughs> Cool. And, and, <laughs> but, I, but I assume I'll be here for a long time because I've been talking about this for 13 years and people tend not to, you know. <laughs> so. but, but there's such an important point. Biodiversity was the conversation in the last podcast last week. So it's a, so good good reference. With all of these things, they are big, meaty challenges that kind of people can look at and go, that's just too hard. Let's do that in 2025, as you said earlier. Uh, but, but, but we've got to start with them somewhere. So it's just brilliant that you're going... I'm, I'm going to try and innovate and, and use technology and use data to shine a light on something that, that needs to change. And I, I can't fix it on my own tomorrow, but at least I'll start doing something that will kind of get other people on board 
wanting to kind of make that difference. So, so look, the first time we talked about it, I loved your passion for the subject. Uh, so thanks for bringing that passion to the conversation tonight. And, and and maybe we should come back in six 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 nine months and kind of see how it's going and kind of see the, some of the stories in terms of how people have reacted because I think the key to the success is going to be what happens next in terms of the transformations, both societal and corporate, once that information is actually seen. So thank you, Eleanor, for coming to talk to us tonight. Thank you. Honestly, I really appreciate it.